0: All right, everyone, let's open our Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. It's a joy, as always, to get to open the Word of God together, and we're continuing our series around beholding Christ and building His kingdom. And so we've been talking about this idea of, as we've come up on the 10th year as a church, taking all that God has shown us around Missional fervor and going deep together as families with family discipleship in the home and pressing on into maturity with doctrinal depth, how can we take all of that and press on together into this next season to be a part of building a church that matters in this town that that we would not just worship in the shadows and be ignorable by either the devil or our town, but that we would together build a church that the next generation would be glad to inherit that that would facilitate their worship and that the nations in our town would be drawn to the light of Christ as we so let our light so shine before them that they could see him and glorify our father in heaven. And so we've been asking questions like, what does our church look like 10, 20, 50 years from now? What will Brattleboro look like because of our church over that same course of time? And then what are our steps for getting there? How can we Have all of life flow out of beholding Christ together? How can we seek Him individually or seek Him as families in a way that honors Him that will be the ordinary, everyday stuff of building His kingdom? That as we pile on ordinary, everyday faithfulness on top of itself, seeking Him through His Word, worshiping Him together as families, last week showing up at the gathering and being here for each other and encouraging one another, stirring each other up to love and good deeds. And as we just do that week in and week out, and as we seek to serve Him and follow Him, then it all adds up to the building of not just His church in general, but this church in this time and in this space for the sake of His glory in our town. So if last week we talked about sanctifying the Lord's Day, then today we're talking about sanctifying our possessions before Him. I've titled this message, Getting to Give to the House of Our God. So if you are physically able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And to give you a, a brief bit of context, this is King David's kind of final speech to the people of Israel before he has gathered to his father's. And he has expressed to God a desire to build for God a house for his name. And there's that famous passage where God cuts a covenant with David and he says, you're not going to build me a house, but I'm telling you, I will build you a house. And he gives him a promise of the Messiah who will come and sit on the throne of the universe forever, who would come from David's line. And so David, rather than getting to build the temple of God, makes provisions for building the temple of God And now he's giving kind of this final vision for building the temple to the gathered people of Israel. So we will begin in chapter 29, verse 1. Again, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and all the work to be done by craftsmen. Gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord, then the leaders of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, and eighteen thousand talents of bronze and hundred thousand talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the joy and the gladness that are found in following you and giving ourselves freely to you. Lord, would you continue to humble us As we continue to hear your word, just like we brought you our voices in singing, we, we now bring you our hearts in listening to your holy word. Lord, convict us, fill us with your joy and with your gladness, and give us a heart always to give of ourselves gladly into your kingdom. Come and speak to us now for the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. It would seem, and I don't know if this is a recent phenomenon, I don't think that it is, but giving to the local church and its ministry seems like it's fallen on hard times. And I think that there are reasons for this that are not just only materialism and idolatry. I think that can be part of it. I think many believers have not been taught good money management So there's actually a desire to give, but they just don't know how to make it happen. Or they feel like they've made so many bad decisions that are now hamstringing them from being able to give as they would want to give. I also think that there's confusion on the nature of tithing and of the kind of giving that pleases God. So tithing's not explicitly commanded in the New Testament, and so I think sometimes believers think, well... God loves a cheerful giver, and this is how much I feel happy with giving, and so this is what I'm going to do. And um, there's confusion around duty versus glad-hearted giving versus joy, what's required of us, what's not required of us. In most cases, though, I think that our giving or lack thereof can reveal a ground-level unbelief or materialism. So it's, it's really important that we remember Doug Wilson says it this way, that our theology comes out of our fingertips, and we've been emphasizing this a lot, that it is very easy for us to say things with our mouths or agree with things on paper. If we were to give kind of a quiz of theological accuracy or things that the Bible says, I think most of us would get these multiple choices, questions correct. But then when it comes to the actual application in our life, we kind of want somebody to draw us, paint us a picture, and color it in. Like, what's actually required of me, though? And then we can be like the rich young ruler when Jesus says, well, this is what I mean. We go, that is not what I meant by how I answered that theological right question. I think some don't believe in the mission or the stewardship of their church. They want more control over their giving. So maybe... If, if a tithe was like what was normally given to the church and then offerings were on top of that to other ministries and being ready to share as people have need, I think a lot of people have kind of compacted all of that into some giving to the church and a lot of giving to these other different kinds of ministries, and there's just no real vision for what, what does kingdom generosity look like. And so, nationwide, fewer than one-fourth of those who are churchgoers in America regularly tithe to their local church. And a tithe, by definition, is not just giving to your church, it's giving a tenth of what God has entrusted to you to your local church. And on average, Christians give about two and a half percent of their income to the churches. By comparison, during the Great Depression, they gave around three and a half percent. So that's why I say we're falling on a little bit of hard times, right? Our, our, Our giving nationwide to the local church is lower than it was than during the Great Depression. But this morning, I want to lift our eyes from what is minimally required of us to the glorious opportunity in front of us. So as we talk about building this church here in this town, in this time, in this place, so that we are building something that matters in our town and our children are glad to inherit, I want to consider how does our giving factor into that? And so the first observation I want us to see from this text is that God is the object of our giving. When we give, we are talking about giving to God. Now giving is so earthy, it's so practical, it's so writing checks and giving dollars or setting money aside in an actual budget, it feels like It can just seem so practical it doesn't seem like it's helping it doesn't seem like it's doing anything it seems like we're giving something it's just getting lost in a in a budget and I think it's easy to lose sight of who and what we are actually giving to so in our text this morning as Israel's come before King David and he's giving this end-of-life vision for building this house of God in Jerusalem he tells them in verse 1 the work is great For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So David begins his vision with, this is not an ordinary project. This is not going to require ordinary skill or ordinary leadership. We're talking about building a house for the maker of heaven and earth. We're talking about the one who fills heaven and earth condescending and humbly, graciously inhabiting a physical place that we're going to build and its glory and its majesty need to match his worth. This is not an ordinary project. And so in the same way, when we talk about coming together to build the church, uh, the house that Jesus is building for his namesake, we cannot let familiarity cloud our vision of what is actually happening. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. And there are strongholds that the devil has set up all around and they're all coming down until the church fills all things. This is Jesus' project in the world. It's what he's doing. He is redeeming sinners and bringing them into covenant with him and building a community that is called by his name and she is being built up in love. Ephesians chapter two says into a holy temple in the Lord. So the church is the spiritual temple that is what Solomon's temple was always prefiguring. It was always picturing a house that God would build for his name where his glory would come and inhabit it and the nations would be drawn to Christ by his light. And so other ministries are great. We need them. We need to give to them. But the church is the institution that has the promises of God, and it's the house of God that should be first in our devotion and in our giving because this is what we know Jesus is building in the world. When we're giving to the work of God in the church, we are participating with Christ in what he is doing in the world. He is building his church The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In him, we also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And so we need to look through the church to the Lord Jesus and see him. That in all of our giving, we're not just giving to an organization. We're not just giving to each other. We are giving to the Lord Jesus Christ in participating in the building work that he is doing. So in a real way, our work is the same As what's happening in first chronicles chapter 29 the son of david is building a temple for god to dwell in by his spirit and in reality jesus the son of david is building the house of the lord and he will until she fills all things and so we are both his building and his workers and we have been called by him to live and to give generously towards His building work in the world, knowing that we are not giving to a work of man, but to God himself. So he is the object of our giving. Now, when we talk about giving to the Lord, we have to be mindful that you cannot give to God what is not already his. So this is kind of the misnomer of when we talk about giving to the Lord or giving to the church, is it all belongs to him. Does this ever happen to you? I'll sometimes um, be opening a stocking on Christmas Day. And one of my younger kids will stick in there a pen that he found in my backpack or a pair of socks that he found in my drawer. And I love it. I love getting gifts that already belong to me because they thought of me. They're like, you know what? He'll love this. You know how I know he'll love this? I saw him wearing these yesterday. So I'm going to give him these socks. And I do. I love it. But in actuality, that is how we give to God. We only give to him what already belongs to him. And so this is why David prays these words. Listen to verses 10 through 16 of our chapter. They're rejoicing for coming together and freely giving to God. And David prays, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory And the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you and of your own we have given to you. We are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. In all of our giving, we are bringing God his own socks. He he is actually giving to you so that you can be a channel of his blessing in the world. He actually gives you a budget so that he can use you to give. So I've given you this example before that, Around Christmas time, Kayla's mother very generously gives each of the kids a budget to give away to somebody else. So they call it the 2020 Challenge. And it's meant for them to look for people in need, whether it's somebody that they met in the church or the mailman or a neighbor friend. And they're able to see a need and they use a budget that she gave to them to get a gift for somebody else so that they might learn generosity, so that they may learn That as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Another example would be the way that we do buddy gifts in our house. That until our kids can buy presents for themselves, they exchange names and then Kayla and I give them a budget to buy each other a gift with. So in both cases, our children are being provided with money that is not theirs so that they can learn generosity and experience the joy of getting to be used of God to give and to bless somebody else. That is what David is saying. Lord, this whole thing has been a 2020 challenge. It's been you giving to us what is already yours. And so, yeah, have we given lavishly? Yes. Has it all been from your hands so that we could just participate in what you're doing in the world? Yeah. Yeah, he gives to us so that we can give and be a blessing. And so this is what God has done for us. Everything is his. God's word says he provides us with every good thing to enjoy. He has richly provided for your needs because he loves you. He wants you to have good things. He wants you to experience blessing. But he wants you to do it in a way where the things don't have you and you're generous and ready to share, where you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that as he gives to you, you don't become a cul-de-sac, a dead end, where he gave you, you this blessing so that you could be a blessing and you turned it into a blessing for yourself and so he has made it so that we get to give we get to it's a privilege it's a joy it's an honor to get to give and we quickly turn it into how much do i do i have to how much is required of me now david led the way in this lavish generosity you can see this in verse 2 he says, I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. You need to know that from there, he's talking about from the royal treasury, that just like when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and he plundered the Egyptians, so God had been plundering the nations that had turned against God and were worshiping false gods and their wickedness and in their idolatry. And so God used Israel in judgment against those nations and the things that they accumulated for themselves in all their materialism went to Israel. And David had been setting aside all this plunder, all this wealth from among the nations to turn it into worship at the house of his God. And so he's saying, I have made provision. I have made preparation. Solomon, my son, is inexperienced. He doesn't know what he's doing. Anybody? And so I have taken it on myself to provide for him so that he would be able to honor God and serve God in the way that God's called him to. This is what God is calling us to as the parent generation. For you to provide and to prepare in a way that would provide for the worship of the next generation. And so David's saying, I have made provision. But not only that, in verse three, he also leads the way in generous giving. He he describes this um, I've given of my own treasure my own gold, my own silver, because of my devotion to the house of my God. I give it to the house of my God. David talks about loving the house of God and loving the people of God a lot in the church, and right here he puts his money where his mouth is. I, I could not find for you what the modern day value would be because people, I mean, you could just go on the internet and there's blogs saying, oh, it's probably like 100 million, and there's another one that's saying it's probably like 2 billion. I just know it's a lot of money. If you look at it comparatively, like let's just say David's portion that he gave was about $150 million. The people, the whole nation, then gives generously, it says, of what they have, and they give about $250 million. So just comparatively, look at what David is doing and leading the way. He is giving 30 to 40% of, of what the entire nation is giving just of himself. Because this is what leaders do. They lead the way in giving. And I just want you to know, as an aside, that no pastor in this church has ever asked the church to give anything that we weren't already gladly giving to the house of our God because of our devotion to the house of our God. And I would rather quit ministry than lead a church that I did not believe in, that I did not want to give my life to, and that I didn't want to give our families resources to. And so... We have made it a habit to give to God of the first fruits of what he has given us and we have given our base floor amount that comes before we do anything else with our budget, we give to this church and to the ministry of this church. And then we set aside other money as God allows and provides to be able to meet pressing needs or to give to other ministries and things. But I want to help lead the way and say, look, we don't want our left hand to know what our right hand's doing. We're not giving to be seen by people. We're not trying to pat ourselves on the back. I just want you to know we're not asking you to do anything that we're not already doing because of the house of our God, because he's worthy. And so David led the way like all who lead the work in their generation must. But in doing so, we're not just following David's example, but King Jesus is himself who gave the ultimate gift to purchase and build his church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, Paul writes to the church saying, "You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." He's saying Jesus left the riches of heaven and he became obedient all the way to the point of death on a cross, so that you might know the riches of his righteousness. And so that you might know life forever in his presence. Nobody has given more than the Son of David in terms of building his church. And so, because we've experienced his lavish generosity, we are called to give in keeping with his gift to the house of our God because of our devotion to Christ and to building his church in the world. So, God is the object of our giving. We can only give to him what he has already first given to us. And we're to follow our king and leader, King Jesus, who gave of himself gladly, willingly, generously. And all we're doing is following in his example by the strength that he supplies. So God is the object of our giving. Now we turn to the motivation or the reason for our giving. So look at David's call to the people. And I think it serves this morning as a call to us in verse 5. He said, I have given this way. I prepared for the house of the Lord this way. Verse 5, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Now, the word willingly highlights what this observation is all about right now, that This was demonstrating the nature of the giving that pleases God. God is very clear in his word. He does not want us to give reluctantly. He does not want us to give under compulsion. This is not a, wow, I felt a lot of pressure because of that message, and so I'm going to give because I feel pressured to. But the word also highlights a pretty big difference between talking to us who Maybe deciding whether or not to give of our first fruits into the building of the church and Israel in this passage. They had already given their tithes and their offerings that were required of them. So, just the average Israelite, God said, The first, look, the first 10% is mine for providing for the needs of the Levites and for providing for the needs of the temple and the worship of God. So, even among like their corn crop, if they wanted to redeem and keep the corn crop, they had to add 20% to it. And if it was worth $10, they paid $12 to be able to keep the corn. So this was just what was required of them. And then they had on top of that w- offerings for widows and offerings for sojourners and offerings for the slaves as they set free in the year of Jubilee. And there was just a lot required of, there was just the life of an average person person of God in Israel to give generously of themselves if they were being obedient so that it was more like 20 something percent of their income that Israel gave. So then here comes David and on top of that he's got this end of life moment. Everybody's gathered to him and he says who is going to join me in giving above and beyond for the house of God for the glory of God in the world and well, I want to kind of go back and forth between this passage and 2 Corinthians 9 because I think it highlights, all right, here's, here's the same language, but in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul in, in language that you've probably read, Paul writes to the church saying, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So this is a 2020 challenge. God is giving to them and making their budget to multiply so that they can be a blessing. He says he's able to make all grace abound to you at all times as you are a sower. But i want to highlight from this passage, he says, God loves a cheerful giver. So it is not begrudging giving that honors God. He loves it when we gladly, when, when we have the posture of we get to give and we're glad about it and we're trusting him. We say, God, I, I live on welfare. I don't even know how we're going to pay our next bill, but I'm trusting you and I'm giving first into your kingdom. And as I believe this passage, that you are able to make all grace abound to me at all times so that I can be a blessing. And he loves to honor that kind of cheerful, glad faith. But it says he loves a cheerful giver. And so it is this generosity that pleases God. When he says it's more blessed to give than to receive, we're talking about cheerful generosity a cheerful not this miserly like i guess we'll do this because i will feel guilty if i don't it is a glad-hearted lord teach me how to give like jesus and so it's worth considering as we look at glad and willing participation in giving towards the work what keeps christians from giving above and beyond like this like we see in this passage. If you talk about tithing with Christians, many could not imagine doing anything else. It was taught to them from their parents, and then they grew up tithing, and you just could, uh, it just feels like the greatest robbery of God you can imagine if you don't give him the first 10% of what comes in. You just can't even fathom it. It'd be like going to a convenience store and robbing the guy. Others might point out They don't have those convictions. They're not commanded the tithe in the New Testament. Jesus commends it. Jesus says, you ought to have done this. So he does commend the tithe. But there's no, Apostle Paul doesn't write and say, hey, make sure you set aside 10%. And I think the reason why is because we're all a bunch of legalists at heart. And if he said, you have to give 10%, and after that, the rest is yours, you know exactly how much you would give? So we need to be on guard against thinking that grace-based giving in the New Covenant would somehow be less generous than what God required of the poorest Israelite. It's true that tithing is not explicitly required in the New Testament, but it's also not ever presented as the standard of generosity, which is what we are called to. So if you look up generosity in the dictionary, it's not going to be like, The minimum requirement of what was required of Israel in the Old Testament, just a straight 10%. So he gives us his grace. He says, so going back to our giving example, let's say in the Old Testament, just put concrete terms on it. Let's say God gave everybody $200 and he said, look, the first 20 bucks is mine. You have to give it for the ministry of the temple and there's no questions about it. This is what's required of you. In addition to this, I want you to set aside money for the widow and for the sojourner. And then I want you to be ready to share as people have need. And now, since Christ has come, and he commends the tithe, but he essentially says, in light of all I've given you, I want you to give generously. I want you to support the church and its ministers and its ministry. I want you to meet pressing needs. I want you to be generous and ready to share. Now, I want us to consider, does that sound like the vision for generosity has contracted or expanded? Jesus comes and he unleashes our joy and he sets us free and he says, I want you to give like you've been given. And I would contend that if a tithe used to be the floor of the giving of the people of God, that we should not live in their basement just because he's made the floor less explicit, right? That that we should not be staring at what is minimally required of us instead of seeing a tithe as an example in the Old Testament, that's a great example of kind of baseline floor giving as I consider what it looks like to give to God the first fruits of all that he's given me because I love him and he's my treasure and materialism doesn't have a hold on me anymore and I actually trust him to provide for my needs. And so this is a great way, a great starting point, a great starting line. Where I'm just going to, right off the top, I'm just going to say, God, I'm giving 10% tithe to the local church and for its ministry because I'm so glad for what you're doing here. I believe in what you're doing. You're saving sinners. You're building your church. You're sanctifying people. You're planting churches. We're seeing Jesus magnified among the nations. And I want to be a part of that. And you know what? I may even go above and beyond. I, I, I may have other budgets that I set aside just to be generous and ready to share because that's what you've told us to do. I want to live like all this stuff belongs to you and it's not mine and you've given it to me to steward. We give because he's worthy and because we love him and because he's commanded us to. And so I go back to this question, well, what, what keeps us from giving like this? From, from not just staring at oh, what do I have to do, but how do I go above and beyond and, and generously give into the kingdom of God? And... I wasn't originally planning on coming to this text, but I read it in my devotional time and I thought, ouch. This is actually cemented into the canon from the Holy Spirit as an example for us. So fast forward, we're fast forwarding a long amount of time, okay? The temple has already been built, constructed, and now destroyed because the people of Israel were just wicked with their idolatry. They brought false gods into the temple of God to worship the false gods. So God brings Babylon and just completely destroys the temple. They're carried off into captivity for 70 years. And then God stirs in their heart to come be part of a rebuilding work. And they're gonna rebuild the temple. And they're gonna rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So this remnant has come back into the land for the purpose of rebuilding the city and and rebuilding the temple itself, but the work has been delayed. And so Haggai is sent to them to prophesy to them. And listen to what he says. This is from Haggai chapter one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins now therefore thus says the lord of hosts consider your ways you have sown much and harvested little you eat but you never have enough you drink but you never have your fill you clothe yourselves but no one is warm and he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes does that ever feel like you i mean it's just the rat race Kaylee gave an example the other day. She was talking about homeschooling. I thought it was hilarious. She's like, sometimes I feel like the hamster on the wheel, but where the wheel starts going faster than the hamster, and you just see him like, and he's just getting taken for a ride. And life can feel like that to you, where you just feel like, I work so hard, and there is just never enough to provide for the needs. So conversations around giving just feel discouraging. I just feel condemned. I feel guilty because I feel like I'm getting taken for a ride. Well, here's the people of Israel in the same place. It's like, hey, do you have a money pouch and it's filled with holes and there's just a leak in the bottom of it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So he's saying it could be that you feel like you have holes in your wallets and in your purses because we busy ourselves by seeking first our own needs and then giving to God from what is left over. And this is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Consider your ways. Could it not be that the very reason you feel you don't have money to give be because you're not giving? And God is so merciful. This people, they don't know anything about the ceremonial laws or what it's required to be clean. And in chapter two, God basically takes Haggai on this whole question and answer thing to demonstrate that the people are not clean and everything they're doing is not clean. And he goes, but consider this. From the day the day that they built the foundation of the house, from this day on, I will bless you. The people repented. The people stopped busying themselves with their house and their needs, and they set themselves, even in an unclean way, in a a way that wasn't perfect, in a way that was latent with sin, and God says, I see it, and I will bless it because you have sought first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and I will add these other things to you. And so the question comes to us, from King David, but also from, I think this morning, the son of David, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord, who will avail themselves of the joy of giving first to the kingdom of God and to the building of this church. We come last to the result of our giving. So we've looked at God as the object of our giving, and the reason that we give is willingly and gladly it's a it's above and beyond it's not staring at what's minimally required of us it's God I want to trust you it's a joy to get to give and the results of it well look we see in this passage the immediate result look at verse 9 and then again at verse 20 through 22 then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord David the king also rejoiced greatly And verse 20, then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the king. And then they offered sacrifices to the Lord. On the next day, offered burnt offerings to the Lord, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. The results of their corporate giving to the work of God in the world was that they had a party and they feasted and they continued to give. They just couldn't stop giving. They were bringing all these sacrifices and they were all eating together and drinking together and rejoicing that God had given them such grace to be a part of giving in such a way that was above and beyond what was required of them. They rejoiced because God opened their eyes to see that he was everything. And he had actually given them grace to give accordingly. This is God's heart to us, to bless us and to fill us with his joy as we seek his kingdom first. Going back to 2 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul's praising God for the gift of being able to give. He says, your generosity is such a fruit of your faith in Jesus. You confess the gospel of Christ. You believe in the Christ who gave himself for you, and your life reflects it, and it's all grace. It's all a mark of God doing this in your heart. Praise God. Only he could make you generous like this only he could supply your needs like this and enable you to give gladly to other people, blessed be God for his inexpressible gift. And so in contrast to God putting holes in their bags, when, when we give gladly to seeking first the kingdom, he multiplies seed to the sower. He, he multiplies the budget of the generous to fund their generosity and the result is that people's needs are met and your joy is full and god gets tons of glory from meeting needs and his grace at work in you and the long-term effect of their giving was that the temple of god was built and the glory of god filled his house you can read about it in first kings chapter 8 when this magnificent temple is built and god condescends to fill it with his presence And there are future generations and nations that come to worship at the house that this generation built. And so in conclusion, who will offer themselves willingly, gladly consecrating yourself today to the Lord? I've been praying for us as a church this whole series that God would not just give us this flash-in-the-pan excitement or that the result from today would not be a month of tithing or a year of tithing but a, a lifestyle of lavish generosity to Christ and to his church. My prayer for us is the same as King David's in verses 17 and 18. He says, I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. That's my prayer for our church that where our treasure is, our heart would be also. We would know, all right, we are going to have our giving lead our heart into wholehearted worship of God, and we're gonna have our wholehearted worship lead us into generous giving. And God is going to use you in incredible ways as we reach the lost, as we grow together as a church, as we meet each other's needs, as we plant churches, as we see Christ magnified among the nations, and you can rejoice gladly saying, I was a part of building Christ's church. I was a part of building this church that this next generation or that the nations are going to come and worship at because I sought first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And he filled our family with joy as we followed him in obedience. May it be so for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that as you make us like Christ, one of the things that you're doing is making us more generous, less self-seeking, less less self-interested, more consumed with loving you and loving others more than ourselves. Lord, so much of this comes down to faith. Will we trust you as we give and seek first your kingdom? as we don't just talk about seeking first your kingdom while our lives don't match, but as we give generously into your kingdom. Lord, I I pray that you would fill our church with the joy of generosity, with the joy of giving generously to the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world. And would we be glad to give above and beyond for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.